0: Probably, I need this talk as much as anyone because I'm the kind of person who likes to read and study about topics and I'd neglect to go out and do it. So uh, my talk is to myself as well as to you. And I've also drawn from the experience of other people, stories that I've heard, stories that I have, will use as examples. And I want us to remember that we uh, are all needy people. Reaching the needy around us, we are all needy people. And while needs vary from person to person, there are common needs that we have with our neighbors around us. And Jesus is the one who has met our needs and so we can point those around us to him for the answers. It is not that they come to us for answers, but uh, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is our savior and as our example. And as you read the gospels, notice how Jesus interacted with people He saw their needs, and he had compassion on them, and met them, and met their needs. I-, I challenge you, in your reading of the Gospels, notice the wide variety of people Jesus interacted with and how he interacted with them. In John 2, 25, in the Moffat translation, it talks about Jesus. He knew all men. And required no evidence from anyone about human nature. Well did he know what was in human nature. And in those silent years before Jesus began his ministry, um, he watched people. You can see that in his parables and his stories. He watched children, he watched the Pharisees as they paraded around. He watched the beggars, and then he used those observations in his teaching and as he ministered to people. So in reaching the needy around us, let us be observant of the people around us. And Jesus as a student of human nature, uh, not only was a student, but he loved these people. We get past just observing people and making comments about them but he actually loved them and had compassion on them. He loved them in the tragedies of life. He loved them in their smallness of soul. Some of them are very, very, very small. Some in sin, some with suffering with the consequences. He just loved people. He loved all kinds of people and so must we. So I want this evening to think about a few groups of people we encounter Uh, And we can learn how Jesus interacted with them. And maybe uh, after I finish uh, a section, maybe I'll say, does anyone have any comments or something you've learned? I want to start with uh, Jesus and children. The children in our world have many needs. There's a need to be noticed. Physical needs, social needs, spiritual needs. Many children come from single-parent families, situations, and they need responsible adults who love them and walk beside them, showing them love and care. Jesus noticed children. In Matthew 11, it's just a, a kind of in passing, uh, Jesus talked about the children in the marking, marketplace playing wedding and funeral. You can look that up sometime in Matthew 11. He noticed the children, Matthew 11. When Jesus fed the multitudes, the gospel mentioned the men were fed, but the women and children, their needs were met. In Matthew 19, we have the children coming to Jesus. Matthew 19, verse 13. Oh, since, I, since I've got your interest, I'll flip back to chapter 11, where Jesus watched the children and he said, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not lament. And they were playing parties and weddings and they were playing funerals and they Jesus noticed that. Okay, back to 1913. Uh, little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them, and Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for if such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. And I think Luke says, took them up in his arms and blessed them. Now, Why was that unusual? There was a Jewish ceremony of blessing for children, but the scribes and Pharisees would not touch the children lest they be defiled. Jesus took them up in his arms and blessed them. Jesus was not defiled in his contact with, with others around him. And as we work with children... Jesus took time for them and for their parents, and he touched them. We have, in our communities, children's clubs. We have summer Bible schools. And one of the questions, as we work with these children, are we keeping contact with them as they age out of our programs? I was reading... Uh, an article from an old missionary light back in 1944, and Eunice Hartzler, Mrs. Earl Hartzler, was writing about their Bible school teachers, and they tried to visit almost every home represented in their Bible school, and that meant uh, a lot of traipsing around through the mountains, long miles. They tried to make contact with each home that was coming to their Bible school, and I won't ask how we're doing on that one, because usually... We were rushing around to try to get to Bible school on time. Without, But these people were devoting their time uh, to these children and their families. And so I encourage us in our work with children to be more intentional in, in really meeting them and their needs. And then as they get older, following them and uh, wh- where they go. And I've heard some stories in this community where that has happened And it's a blessing, Uh, it's a blessing. Yes, in our work with children, we're intentional. We do not use child evangelism. Uh, That has been a criticism of our Harrisonburg Bible School from uh, a young man who aged out of our program and went to the fundamentalist Baptists. Uh, He thought we were not uh, evangelistic enough, but I think we do it intentionally But I think it's important that we also follow them as they mature and as they come to the age of accountability, uh, be able to be keeping in contact with them. Does anyone have a contact or or comment or uh, testimony on, on working with children, meeting the needs of needy children? And sometimes we as adults are trying to hold everything together and keep it from (laughs) falling apart, and we forget that our purpose is not just to hold things together but to to teach the Word of God, and the Spirit of God will take that. But but a a following these people as they mature. A second group of people Jesus worked with were the sick and the sorrowful. The Gospels are full of stories of Jesus and sick people and blind people and deaf people and demon-possessed people and lepers. And they were all helped by Jesus. Jesus stood beside people in their time of sickness and healed them And the ministry of healing went on through the church, through his disciples when he sent them out. And then in the book of Acts, that healing ministry continued. And I think it's a a valuable ministry. However, we look at healing, but at least walk beside people in their times of sickness. Jesus also walked beside people in times of death. And he raised people from the dead. And in Acts, we have the same account, but we also have Jesus uh, weeping with people, with uh, Lazarus's sisters when he died. Times of sickness and death are times of openness to the gospel. And there needs to be careful planning and thoughtful visitation in times of sickness and death, but these are times of meeting needs and Jesus sent his disciples out to minister, to preach, to heal. And that ministry of healing uh, continues. Here in the story from Virginia, back in 1924, I tend to go for the old stuff, uh, L.J. Heatwell, bishop in this middle district, kind of recounted how the gospel spread in this community and he said at first people settled around the pike meeting house south of harrisonburg and then they finally really moved west and built a meeting house at weavers church on 33 west but then he said in the second advancement the ministers decided let's not just have worship in homes But they agreed to conduct funerals among people other than their own members. And maybe it was because they didn't charge for the service. But it developed into a way of reaching out into homes, uh, even into Harrisonburg. Minister Peter Burkholder uh, was occasionally called to Harrisonburg for funeral services. And it opened the way for applications for baptism and fellowship in the church through ministering, through that ministry. He says that the third advancement, conducting funerals and visiting the sick, took people as far west as Muddy Creek and Dry River, <laughs> west of mole Hill. <laughs> that was his, his comment on that. And uh, he said it, it resulted in greatly extending the acquaintance of the ministers and people began to move into that part, and so the, the bank church was started. But this congregation grew rapidly in numbers and became the largest assembly of people at a Mennonite church. And there were more people, a quote, of, of outside ancestry than from the other congregations at that time. There was a movement of people, and a lot of it was visiting the sick and conducting funerals. And then through the years, the movement went west um, into the mountains of West Virginia. And a big part of the ministry there was preaching and also preaching funerals. And often the person who has long been buried by the time a preacher showed up, and then they would gather for a funeral service. And it was funerals were a, a... very part of the, the spreading the gospel across the mountains uh, into, into West Virginia. And then after a while, they began filling in the gaps, places like the Peak and places like Bethany and places like Gospel Hill, and places like that. But the, the funeral ministry was a, it, it, and, uh, and a, an interesting little side note. Gabriel Heatwell went with the Old Orders in 1900, but he had always gone into West Virginia preaching, and they loved him for funeral services in West Virginia. He would graft apples and preach sermons. And even after he went Old Order, for 20 years he kept going back into West Virginia preaching funerals. A good lesson to us that the division was not over preaching the gospel, but the, the, the issue was borrowing from other denominations, but he would faithfully go year after year and preach, and often funeral services that hold, wait for, the, wait till Gabriel Heatwell came so they could have a funeral, but as a, a message, of, uh, a message of, of, of sharing hope and Jesus in a time of crisis in people's families and it's a this thing of of ministering to people in sickness and in times of death showing up at their homes uh, is an important ministry that uh, jesus taught and i think that we should uh, should continue if we can anyone have any testimony or comment on that and i had also our custom of of gathering, fellowship, sharing food and things is a uh, is is an important uh, is an important part of, of reaching out. Sometimes we don't know what to say, but uh, good sharing like that uh, can be a, an important thing. Jesus reached out to the down and out. blind Bartimaeus, the beggars, they weren't the kind of people that um, people socialized with. The demon-possessed man. The women who were shunned by society, such as the Samaritan woman at the well, come to mind. Jesus reached out to those kind of people. Ones that we would say maybe are down and out. And we need to be looking for ways that we can minister to those that are, we say, down on their luck, or something like that. Uh, growing up in uh, Chester County, Pennsylvania, I, uh, we had a deacon in our congregation, and one time we were at his house and we were playing out in their sheds. They had lots of little chicken houses all over the place, and in the barn, and there were little beds here and there. And I discovered that uh, when he was passing out tracts, he would find homeless people, and it wasn't appropriate to bring them into his home. So he had, little, in his little brooder house, he had, not an apartment, but a little bed for them, and and they could sleep there, and they came and went, wandered around the community, went fishing in the Aquareira <laughs> Creek. And uh, my dad said, yeah, they would... Find them and convert them. And then we Mennonites would carry them off to the grave in the end. But uh, it was kind of a, a ministry that he had. Quiet, unassuming, but you know, what do you do with those kind of people? And uh, Brother Lester uh, made it his ministry not to take them into his home. Probably would not have been appropriate with his children. But uh, at least reaching out to them in a way. And so Jesus reached out to those who were down and out. And maybe we think that's kind of easy because we're here and they're there. But Jesus did not treat people like that. Jesus also reached out to the well-to-do. In the story of Matthew, the tax collector, socially rejected because of his occupation, turn back to Matthew 9. Matthew 9.9. 9. Okay. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And now what happened is Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I know we put people in categories, but Jesus was recognizing the need for these well-to-do people, these up-and-outers, you might say, to learn to know him. And Matthew used the opportunity of being called to follow Jesus to invite his friends to, to his house. And there they sat and talked with Jesus. Of course, this disturbed the Pharisees because they said, you're associating with the wrong kind of people. When is the last time you had such a gathering at this at your house? At my house. We also have a similar story with Zacchaeus. Jesus going to his house. Those who are up and outers need friends to walk with them too. They need neighbors who walk with them in times of happiness, in times of sorrow and grief. In central Virginia, we had a very wealthy family. Their country home was next to our farm. And it was easier to visit them in their country home than in their city home. Uh, Mrs. S. would eat in her formal dining room, even though she was having a a white bread and cheese sandwich. Uh, She would still have linen and china and all that at her tablecloth. But uh, we visited in her home, and when her husband dropped over dead, that was my brother. Rode with her in to the hospital, uh, where she found the news that her husband was dead, and prim and proper Mrs. S needed someone to walk with her in her time of grief. And I think we need to to learn that it's not always easy. In the Middle East, I have my wife and I have sat in homes of refugees where we sat on cushions on the floor, which is the way it's done, with very little furniture. But we've also been invited to Mr. T's house, who works for a pharmaceutical company, has traveled all over the world and collected beautiful things from all over the world. And last time, yes, last time we were in the Middle East, We had a meal in their home. A little bit overwhelming. Someone who has so much. And Mrs. T uh, is grieving because of her death of her mother. And Mr. T has very good questions. Recently he said he would like to become a Mennonite Muslim. I'll let the theologians work through that one. (laughs) Muslim does mean submitted to God. (laughs) So it wants to be a Mennonite submitted to God. Okay, we'll leave that. (laughs) But uh, he's searching. But, you know, are we willing just to relax around those kind of people or does their wealth overwhelm us because it's so much more than we have? And... uh, he's coming to this community next month and he said he'd like to visit a Mennonite church which one should I take him to okay we'll see but uh, are we willing to walk walk with those who are up the upper and outers as well as those who are the down and outers another group of people that God has brought to our community is college students from abroad. And the ones that come here from other countries generally are rich. They do not come as, you know, poverty people or this kind of thing. They are rich, but they need friends. And international students here at JMU, are open to American friends. One young lady, um, whom my daughter befriended, she wanted to learn how to sew. And so she spent one afternoon at our house with a sewing machine and learning how such a thing operates. She enjoyed gardening. She liked puzzles. She even did a video for a class using the English as second language class that was held at CLP. And that group of sisters that were doing that ESL class back then uh, got good publicity at JMU. Although Hanji did use some music that was did not exact background music that did not exactly fit CLP. Um, but uh, she, she was impressed with the testimony of these women that were teaching other women English, and she, uh, she, she did a video of it and used it for one of her class assignments. I, I'd like to know where that is and where we could find a copy of it uh, for somebody's archives. But other international students come from wealthy families. I know a young man from Yemeni, father is very wealthy, Chinese students who are very wealthy They come to our homes, if we invite them, they bring their friends with them. Occasionally, they will come to church. Uh, The bank, young fellow youth class, got a good tongue lashing one Sunday when a Muslim fellow showed up, and they all came into class and laid their Bibles down on the floor like they always did, and this Muslim fellow said and told them in no uncertain terms, you do not put a holy book on the floor. And his background, that was disrespectful. I wasn't there, but I imagine they all picked him up. (laughs) But uh, you're you're going to learn from these people. And they're the kind of people that will ask good questions. They may come to church. They may not. But they need friends. And uh, they are the kind of people that Jesus calls us to reach out to. Any stories of anyone come to mind on these last categories? All right. Then what about the strangers? Jesus in Matthew 25 said, I was a stranger and you took me in. Acts 17, when Paul preaches in Athens, he talks about God moving the nations of people and setting the bounds. And it seems like in our day, the bounds have been loosed, and people are moving all over the world. And God has brought to our community hundreds of thousands, or hundreds or thousands, of people born in other countries. According to a, a recent study, I picked up from a Presbyterian's uh, website that this person works with foreign-born people in America. Uh, businessmen immigrants refugees foreign students Uh, one in eight is born in another country i think probably that bears out here in harrisonburg and the censuses do not count the children and so you figure there is about if with all the children there might be one in four uh, people with one immigrant parent it's just and god has brought them to harrisonburg and there's two responses jesus said Welcome the stranger and fear not. Welcome the stranger and fear not. There's a lot of fear with people. And it's not easy to go up to a stranger and talk to them. But God is bringing people to us and to our community. And often people who are in transition are lonely. And loneliness leads to openness. And so I encourage you, reach out. Reach out. Um, I was coming out of Sharp Shopper one day, and there was a Sikh. Now, for you children who don't know what Sikhs are, in a Sikh religion, the men wear long hair put up. And then they wear a turban on top of it so it's a little different from what you boys and girls are used to but here was a sikh man and i i'm i have to force myself to do this so i just said spoke to him i said oh i recognize you as a sikh you know welcome what what brings you to Harrisonburg?" and he gave me his story and and uh, we chatted a bit and and he went on his way and i went on my way and then when i was coming out of sharp shopper he was coming across the parking lot and gave me a big wave i guess doesn't get welcomed to Harrisonburg too often, but you see most of those men DC at the airport working and stuff, but here was one in Harrisonburg. But I just say all kinds of people come Uh, down here by the tropical place down by food line. We were coming up the street one night and there was a lady coming home from the grocery store and she was carrying her groceries on her head. Just like you might see in Haiti or in Africa And often we come through there, we'll say, I wonder where they came from. I wonder where they came from. God has brought all these people to Harrisonburg. And make your connections because you don't know whom they have contact with in other places. There are a number of contacts that our people in the Middle East that are serving have because they have relatives here in Harrisonburg who said, would you please look up my cousin or look up my sister or somewhere. And so there are contacts being made because people here in Harrisonburg have been friendly to immigrants. And these people send their pictures back and forth on their cell phones. And they say, look, these people that have come to visit you, there's people just like that in America. And it's it's, it's amazing to them because Americans are supposed to Well, Christians have a bad name in America because everybody in America is Christian and everybody in America who watches television and watches Hollywood and is immodest and so forth. And suddenly they see pictures of people in America that are not immodest and they're intrigued that you mean you don't have a television and they, if you welcome their home, they'll take pictures of their, your home and send them back to their friends, other places Love wins out because trust is built. So step out of your comfort zone. Dear Ethel Reed, one night she said, would someone please show me how to use GPS on my phone? She said, I'd like to go visit the ladies in my ESL class, but I don't know how to find them. (laughs) She had their address and she needed somebody to show her how to use a GPS. And here she was stepping out of her comfort zone, to visit uh, Yazidi women that live in this community, and uh, you might, they might, we might find it out of our comfort zone, but they welcome us. Tell you a story of a night that I thought was a failure. We went to visit Camille, his wife, the daughter who usually t- interprets wasn't feeling well, and so she didn't talk. So there we were visiting <laughs> with not being able to understand each other. They brought us food like Middle Eastern people do. We were there eating, and suddenly Mr. Camille got up and left. And I was sitting in this whole room full of women, which was culturally inappropriate. But I was eating food, and I didn't know what to do. So I finished my food, and then went out and sat with him. And I'm not sure there was anyone out there to interpret or not. Might have been a neighbor. But another lady came over and and she started interpreting. And so the women inside were having at least some kind of a conversation. Mine outside I felt was kind of a dud. But the lady who came across from the next house to interpret said, I wish somebody would have come and visited me when we came to America. And we found out later that the family that I thought the visit was a failure and a dud They just enjoyed the evening so much, (laughs) and we went home frustrated, very frustrated. So nothing much happened, but it was a little link in the chain that God is using in these people's lives to build connections with Christians here in America, contacts with Christians in other countries, and so forth. Go out of your comfort zone. Go into homes, eat what they give you. One evening we did a three-house visit on Norwood Street, and the first house gave us juice, and the second house gave us hot chocolate, and the third house gave us tea. And I went home and my stomach gurgled till about one o'clock <laughs> with the combination. But I'm saying, but we made contact who made contact. Visit. Like the lady said, I wish people would have visited me. Learn to relate to these people as equals. We find it easy when we think of needy people to think of giving to them, giving to them, giving to them. Learn to receive. Learn to receive there are three things that we need to do. One of them is, is, as Christians, is give relief. For example, there's a tsunami, a hurricane or something, people need Band-Aids, you know, patch things up as fast as you can, get them back to normal somewhat. That's relief. And we find that easy to do with needy people. But the trouble is we wanna just keep on giving relief. The second step is more rehabilitation, Third step is development. But basically, as you move away from relief, you're working with people. Working with people. Working as equals. And I, I think we need to need to learn that. I think we as Mennonite people have been good, not been have not been very good at, at relating to people as equals. Can sit and share faith. But also Listening to their questions and being challenged, a young Muslim man in our home uh, said, "Are you familiar with the Aryans?" They were early Christians who rejected the deity of Christ. And he latched on to that because he, as a Muslim, rejects the deity of Christ, and he said, "Look, there are Christians who reject the deity of Christ. so why are you trying to tell me that we have to believe that Christ is divine?". Uh, good to have your faith stretched, but but he's thinking. He's thinking. I don't know where God will lead him yet. Relate as equals. I want to maybe close with a a story. A local family, we learned to know on Norwood Street, when they moved out of government housing into an apartment, uh, one of the brothers in Southeastern, loaned them his truck, and uh, Mr. T paid them well. I think, uh, I don't know if the brother was expecting any money or not, but he paid them well. But this brother said, these people are gonna take over everything. We're not sure about these people. They're gonna take over everything. Well. So this family lived in an apartment for a while and they made their friendship with uh, Lyndon Rhodes at Bang Church because they needed to go to the stock sale sometimes to buy sheep. If you ever tried to buy something at a stock sale, think about trying to do it if you can't understand English very well. <laughs> so Lyndon has made it his project when they show up to help them pick out what sheep and then help them to buy the sheep. He doesn't buy it for them, but he he moved beyond the first step into the second and third step. They do come to his place to butcher the sheep, and he had to explain to them that Friday is your holy day, Sunday is my holy day. Please don't show up to butcher sheep on Sunday morning at my house. (laughs) And they understood that, respect that, and so they're still butchering sheep, but not on Sunday morning. So this family moved out of an apartment into a new house in Sunset Avenue. Uh, Very nice house. Um, Makes most of our houses look small. Um, And they said, uh, we think we want a garden. That would be probably the development stage. And so the garden project began. Lyndon worked up ground Um, my wife took them to the greenhouse to figure out how to buy plants and things and we spent a Friday uh, planting garden I was appalled the ground was red, it was hard it was rocky how is anything going to happen here rabbits everywhere in Harrisonburg went back two weeks ago they built a fence to keep the rabbits out they have been watering it faithfully. Their cucumbers look better than mine. Their <laughs> garden is growing beautifully. Hopefully it's not just beginner's luck. But uh, it, it's, uh, it's they're doing it on their own. It's a matter of at whatever stage people are, walk beside them. Walk beside them. Learn to relate to people not... Us here and them there, but learn to walk as equals. Follow the way of Jesus. What is our goal? Fits with our very much with our first song tonight. Revelation seven nine and ten. A group gathered there before the Lamb, singing, Worthy you are to take the scroll and open its seals, for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. And they we shall reign on the earth, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I don't know what God has in mind, with the people he's brought to this community. But we have an open door to reach out to the needy, to the stranger. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you took me in. He also says in that passage, if I was naked, you clothed me hungry, you gave me food. But whatever level of need people are, we need to respond. But let's be able to respond to, to deeper levels, both spiritually and materially, as we walk with people. God bless you and your work here. And does anyone have anything they would like to share? A story that they have? Something they've learned? They'll, They'll do a background check on you. Jesus was busy too. And he took time for people because he loved them. We can't do everything. But maybe we can choose one thing. Maybe we can choose one thing. And the stories that I shared, you know, are over, you know, spread out over many years too. And people come into your life and disappear from your life. And some we have no contact with anymore. And some we have ongoing contact with. And some who knows when they'll show up again. So I think being open... Being open to what who God wants us to meet with. There was a book by a a writer. He's one of those preachers that has fallen into disrepute, and I don't know what to do with this book because it's such a tremendous book. And uh, but he but his his title was just walk across the room. You know, he saw somebody over there, and he went over and shook hands and introduced himself, and it opened up a world. And sometimes we just have to kind of walk across the room and, and and see if God has an open door for us, and maybe God doesn't. But uh, be, uh, be open to the people around us. Not a very good answer, but I'm not good at thinking fast on my feet. All right. God bless you.